Quite often get up here and it's a fairly hard act to follow. <laughs> Never going to try and make sense of that story this morning. <laughs> and I hope you'll find it edifying. <laughs> My uh, father-in-law is a much more cultured individual than I am. And uh, he was overseas recently and he had tickets to the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. Russian masterpieces about three or four weeks ago at the Hamer Hall. I hadn't been to the Hamer Hall ever before, I think, or maybe once. So we went along and it was a night of culture for me. There was a, uh, a Russian composer called Kachachurian or something like that and another one called Shostakovich. And the first one was a violin concerto and there's this, this fellow on a violin. He was one of the best violinists in the world, I think. And he was up the front and he just went flat out, I reckon, for 45 minutes in this violin concerto and the orchestra is all going for it. He's got no music and the, the conductor is turning pages at the rate of about one every 15 seconds and this guy's just going for it all the time and the orchestra's coming in all around. It was absolutely amazing. And then there's an interval and there was another one and I probably could have gone home at the interval because it's a bit of a sameness about it after a while but... <laughs> Sorry, but, but it was really, really good. And I sat there and as I looked, we were right at the back and you could see the whole thing happening. And although the violin seemed to have the, the main role and the conductor was very important and was leading well, there were other people who did very little, but they did it well. Like there was a guy, his job was the gong. There's this massive gong and he's sitting there on edge because he's got to do the gong soon, you know. And he jumps up out of his chair just at the right time and pulls a little black cover off it and goes, boom, and he sits down again. And that's just about it for him. And there's another guy on the bass drum and he only had to do about three beats in the whole thing. And when his time was about, about 20, 30 seconds before his time was up, he jumps up out of his chair and he tightened every screw on the front and every screw on the back and I thought, something's going to happen here. Picks up his drumstick and with about five seconds to spare, he's ready. You know, just the, the, the precision was amazing. But what I thought was just fantastic about it was as I looked at it, I thought this is just a, an example of what a good organisation looks like. Even any sort of organisation in society that was working well, good leadership, people who knew exactly what they needed to do and did it at the right time. And it made me think of this big word that we use sometimes. It was like a microcosm a microcosm, that's a big word for someone like me, a microcosm of something bigger. So here's this orchestra doing its thing, but it's actually a picture, an illustration of how when everybody works together in any organisation, well, even a church, things really happen and it's good. So here's this orchestra, but it's a microcosm of something bigger. Well, that's just an interesting way to introduce the fact that I reckon the story we're talking about today is a microcosm, if you like, of something much, much bigger. It's a story that encapsulates in miniature the characteristics of a much, much bigger story. This is the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, and it's a microcosm of this big story that we uh, embrace uh, at Christmas time particularly. In this case, it's the longing and the prayers of a nation for a deliverer, a saviour, a rescuer. That's the big story. But that's set alongside this other story of the longing 
of a childless couple for a child. And so, in a remarkable way, God's action on behalf of this couple is like a precursor to God's action on behalf of the whole world. And so, it's like a story within a story, a story that's got an enormous amount of meaning and relevance, uh, but it's only a small story within a really big story. And you know, I think it's a story for all of us, every one of us who's sitting here today who's ever, ever, ever been tempted to think that God has forgotten us, that God has abandoned us, that God's removed himself for us, that God doesn't care about us, that God is, is unmoved uh, by our circumstances. So maybe if you fit into any of those categories today, listen up because I think this story is going to be an encouragement for you. We've called it Silent Night and there's a very real sense as, as you think about this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth that's been just so brilliantly portrayed for us. Thanks, Wes. Just awesome stuff. Um, and you guys, really good. This couple have endured years of silence, in a sense, years of waiting, and yet there seems to be no response from God. And you can imagine in their home there were probably lots of silent nights, but they're not the sort of silent nights we've sung about this morning in the carol. They're silent nights, probably of sadness, because they're, they're thinking, will we ever have a child? And so in the, uh, the, the, the Bible passage in Luke that Troy read for us, it says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. And that sounds fantastic. Good people. But they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. It's hard to imagine, I think, in our culture uh, what Elizabeth had to bear. We can understand it to some extent, but I think it was exacerbated in their culture far more than childlessness is in ours. It was like a profound disgrace to be childless. And in Zachariah's case, it probably even aroused suspicion in people around him that, hey, perhaps he's childless and, and, and Elizabeth is childless because they've done something wrong. He's meant to be a priest, a priest who's serving God, but maybe he hasn't pleased God in some way in his life and this is a reflection of that because in their culture, uh, children and especially sons were a sign of favour from God. So if you haven't got any, well, maybe you're not in favour with God. And, you know, in their culture it was always the woman's fault uh, if there were no children. So we're, we're told in this passage they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. That's just how they would have said it. Elizabeth was unable and so she probably took all the blame, felt all the weight of being known as the one who brought this disgrace on her family, no children. But even though they were shamed in the world's eyes, Luke stresses in this passage that they were righteous in God's eyes and they lived blamelessly according to the commandments and regulations of God. And so their lives, as it were, were like a perpetual paradox, this sense that They'd done all that was commanded of them by God. They were good people. They were doing the right thing. They were seeking to be all that they could be for God and still God hasn't blessed them in the way that any faithful Jew expected they would be blessed if they were doing the right thing. And so I guess we can think about Elizabeth and we could imagine that she'd once as a younger woman lived with great hope, great expectancy of having a child, particularly when she was young. And that hope would have been a hope that seemed to get gnawed away at each month as she found that, again, she wasn't pregnant. And over time, that hope would have given way to anxiety and then probably panic, in a sense, as she grew older and older. And finally, a hope that was probably shattered altogether when she had to face the reality that she wasn't going to have a child. She was too old. And so every time there's a family gathering and all the other relatives are there with their children, this sense of 
I've missed out must have been an incredibly real thing for her. It was like a grief that happened slowly. It wasn't something like a death but it was this slow grief that she must have experienced, a slow process of of hope that diminished and faded over the years. And so when we think of the carol, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, it certainly wasn't calm and bright uh, in Zachariah and Elizabeth's case, was it? And I wonder as you sit here this morning, uh, you may just be here for the first time and just checking this out, but you may may be sitting here and you're you're a follower of Jesus and you're someone who's really uh, wanted to... um, do all you could do, as Zechariah and Elizabeth have been trying to do, all you can do to serve and please God. And yet you sense that God seems silent and he seems inactive in your life in spite of your prayers, in spite of your commitment. And I wonder whether you ever sit there and ask yourself, is it, is it all worth it? Is this whole following Jesus thing worth it? It seems like, like swimming upstream against the tide all the time. It's hard. And you sometimes might even be forced to think, why do I bother? Why do I just bother striving to live my life as if there's something bigger out there, bigger than me, bigger than here, bigger than now, when actually I can't really feel it and I'm not seeing anything for it? Maybe those sort of thoughts go through your mind sometimes. You say, well, I'm trying to live this life of of integrity and, and faithfulness and looking after my family and forgiving people when I need to and being generous because these are all the things that I think Jesus would want me to do. But sometimes I feel like just giving it all up and walking away and doing what I want to do for myself because it's not seemed to, it doesn't seem to be working out for me. We can understand that sort of reaction but that wasn't the reaction that we read about Zachariah and Elizabeth. They were both righteous in God's eyes and they were careful to obey all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. So they might have given up on having a child but they weren't giving up on God. Uh, and they were, they were waiting for God to fulfil a promise that he'd made 1,800 years or so before this um, to Abraham. And I think this is a really pivotal promise in the, in the Bible and it's a promise that has sort of been fulfilled to some extent but not completely. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. And yeah, some of that had happened. Israel had become great really became great very quickly uh, and, and we, we read about that in the time of, of Moses and all of that story, a big nation. Uh, I'll bless you and make you famous and we, we remember the name of Abraham, don't we? So, so yeah, that's, that's come true to some extent. Yeah, Abraham's been blessed by God, the nation's grown and Abraham's became fa- famous. You'll be a blessing to others, mm, maybe sometimes. Um, I'll bless you, bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Mm, so sure. And then this final one, all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. And we think, hey, that's not happening. And this is Israel. Israel that's um, living under Roman occupation. Israel that's uh, known the glory days back in the past. They can remember Solomon and the, the glory of the temple and all of those sort of things. But those days are long gone. And the nation's been through captivity and exile and now Roman occupation, Roman rule. God seems silent. No prophet has spoken on behalf of God to the people for hundreds of years. Where is God? Why do we keep doing what we're doing? But here's this guy, Zechariah. He's, a, he's, a, he's a, a priest and he keeps doing what he's doing. He's a righteous man and he serves God to the very, very best of his ability. He could have been tempted to give it up, to walk away, 
to say, oh, God has abandoned you. Lots of people through that time would have done that. Lots of people in the nation of Israel, but not Zechariah and Elizabeth. They continued to walk blamelessly before God. And then as we saw in the story, this silence that had been such a big thing in their life, this silence is broken. And it's broken in a dramatic way. And you saw it portrayed for you by the cool dude. You see, Zechariah's division is on duty in the temple. And Zechariah has um, been serving as a priest before God. And he's, by, they cast lots. And they, they saw in the casting of lots that you know, God was in that. But actually, the lot fell on him to be the one who went into this inner place to, to offer, uh, to burn incense. And that was an incredible privilege. It was probably a privilege that a priest only experienced once in his lifetime. And so you can imagine the sense of uh, expectation and anticipation as Zechariah goes to this place, everybody waiting outside and he's there burning incense and offering prayers on behalf of the people to God. And then he's confronted by this angel and this is what the angel says to him, God has heard your prayer. And we ask ourselves what prayer? Because he's going in there to offer prayers on behalf of the people. And it would seem from the way the passage reads that it says, God has heard your prayer, your, your wife Elizabeth will give birth to a son. So is God answering his prayer, God bring peace and liberation to our people, or is God answering his prayer that's been prayed and probably stopped being prayed years ago that they'd love to have a child? Hey, I think it's probably both. But in, in the way the, the angel responds, it's like, hey, I'm concerned, Zachariah, for your great need and your wife's great need. You're going to have a son and you're going to name him John and he's going to be great in the eyes of the Lord and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and he's going to turn many Israelites back to the Lord their God and he's going to be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now you see the Old Testament had talked about Messiah coming but before Messiah came there was going to be this prophet who had the the sense it was a prophet like Elijah who would turn the people back to God, tell them to repent from the way they'd been, been behaving and get them ready for the coming of Messiah. And Zechariah is receiving this message from the angel to say, hey, you and Elizabeth are going to be the parents of that very child, that Elijah-like figure who's going to make way, be the forerunner for the Messiah. I wonder how Zechariah is going to respond. Well, we know the story. Doubt floods his mind. It's really hard to imagine. I reckon if you'd been confronted by an angel, whatever that angel told you, I reckon you'd believe it, wouldn't you? But he doesn't. He doubts. This angel who he's incredibly afraid of at the time, he says, how can that be? You're telling me that my wife and I are going to have a child. And this is what he says. I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. I reckon he's a diplomat, isn't he? I'm old, but my wife, she's just well along in years. Um, Don't mention that old word, will you? (laughs) Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. What a powerful statement. I am Gabriel and I stand in the very presence of God. So actually what I'm saying is coming from the top. And it was he who sent me to to tell you the good news. But now because you don't believe, I said you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So I said before this month we've been talking about how In this Christmas season, we're remembering that God did things in the coming of Jesus right on time. And this little story within a story, this microcosm of the big picture, is actually, again, part of God's big plan. And this couple who waited for years and years and now are past the age of having a child 
at this very point, God says, hey, it was always in my plan. I haven't forgotten you. At the proper time, you're going to have a child. The time will come. It is coming. You will have a child. And so I guess there we could say the next part is, is a pregnant silence uh, in many ways because uh, Zachariah can't speak. He's been struck dumb uh, and he's not going to speak again until uh, he has a child called John and until he actually says to people his name is John, that's when he starts to speak again. So a good nine or ten months he's not saying a word and yet his wife Elizabeth is pregnant. She hides herself away for a few months and she's just uh, amazingly blessed by God and amazingly thankful for what God has done in her life. And you know, finally at the end of uh, Luke chapter 1, you might want to read it. We often talk about Mary's song, which is a beautiful song in Luke, in the chapter 1, but there's also Zechariah's little song at the end. And uh, this is what he says, just part of it. You, my little son, this is when he got his voice back, you, my little son, will be the prophet of the Most High because you'll prepare the way for the Lord. You'll tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercies, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Zechariah had an incredible understanding of the role that his son John was going to play in this whole big story. So this is just a microcosm, you might say, of the big picture, but it's a very significant one. The little world of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John is wonderfully intertwined with this broad sweep of God's saving plan for all mankind to bless all the nations of the earth through the birth of another baby, a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit, a baby born to a relative of Elizabeth called Mary, a baby preceded by Mary's son John, John the Baptist, who announced his coming. And you know, later on, Jesus says of John the Baptist... When he, when he referred to him, he said, look, among those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. But when John was questioned about Jesus, John said, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And so here we have this amazing contrast, don't we? We have uh, John raised up by Jesus as, a, as an incredible person. But Jesus, uh, Jesus, John, John's saying of Jesus, I'm not even worthy, not even worthy to undo undo his shoelaces. Zechariah's song says that in Jesus, as it were, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. A later book in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, talks about how God spoke in the past in a whole lot of different ways to the fathers of the nation by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. And it refers to the Son as being the brightness of the glory of the Father and the express image of the person of the Father. And so Jesus, the morning light from heaven, he's about to break upon us. What a wonderful story. A wonderful big story that this little story points us to. You've probably been hearing the carols in the the shops. One of the, the, the beautiful ones is that carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie, above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in these dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of the nation of Israel 
met in the Messiah, Jesus, born as a vulnerable baby, preceded by this special baby, John. But you know, the, the story, I think if we're honest with ourselves, it forces us to ask, why was God silent for so long with the answer to their prayer? Why did they have to face years of shame, years of disgrace? Why do bad things happen to good people? These are the questions that Zechariah and Elizabeth faced and, you know, they're the questions that you and I face as well. They're our questions and Luke doesn't actually answer them except to say that Zechariah and Elizabeth had stayed faithful. They didn't lose their faith. They dis- discovered in a fresh way that God doesn't always live by our rules, doesn't often live by our rules or by our timing, but he does hear our prayer and he hasn't forgotten us. But you see, hope in God can be hard work. It requires endurance and patience. It's not all calm and bright and tender and mild. And so in the midst of God working out his big purposes for the whole world through the promised Messiah, Jesus, we're reminded through Zechariah and Elizabeth that in the very basic things of life to do with our family, our work, our health, our everyday hopes and fears, we can hold on tight to God because faith in God is never misplaced faith. Hope in God is never hope in vain. God's not necessarily going to answer all our prayers or give us everything we want when we want it, but he's pleased with us when our hearts are turned towards him. He hasn't forgotten us, even when our nights might seem silent. We're going to sing a, a, the guys are going to sing a song for us just in a, in a moment or two, and it's called Faithful. You know, someone has described faithfulness to God as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And that's what characterised Zachariah and Elizabeth. They'd chosen to be obedient to God, faithful to God for the long term. And God hadn't forgotten them. And the message of Christmas for you and for me today is God hasn't forgotten you. God's still king. He's still on the throne. He wants us to be obedient to him over the long haul. I've just got four little things for you to think about as we, we listen to this song. First is, am I holding tightly to God? Zachariah and Elizabeth did. You might feel that the nights have been really silent for you for a long time. Are you still holding tight to God? He wants you to trust him. He wants you to know that your faith in him isn't in, in vain. Do you really believe that he's faithful? Do you really believe that he's faithful? These words of this song are going to say that he is. Do you believe it? I just encourage you to be reading the Christmas story with fresh eyes. There's a little booklet that was available last week and there's still some out on the table. Journey to Bethlehem. It's got little readings for every day. It'd be great to just take it and read it. Give you an overall perspective of what it means to see uh, Jesus born as a vulnerable baby, born as the saviour of the world. This morning there's going to be people to pray for you too and if if something that we've talked about this morning has just uh, touched something in your life and you like prayer, well that would be a great opportunity to take advantage of that. Thanks.